Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy, happy July 5th, everybody. For many of you, today is indeed a national holiday, so enjoy that, enjoy your day, and uh, thank you for stopping in here with the podcast. Even if it's not July 5th, we still much appreciate all of you who come here to support the Take It Easy podcast. Make sure to download, leave a five-star review. Doesn't have to be a nice review, just has to be a five-star review. And check out all the other cool stuff that we're doing here. YouTube, the DSD podcast, all that jazz. Um, There's a link in the description to today's episode if you want to support all of the things that we are doing here on Take It Easy. So, with that being said, we've got a fun episode planned for you today. It's a very summer-centric themed, but uh, we've got pretty much nothing going on in the NBA until tomorrow with Game 1 of the NBA Finals, barring some like major injury news around Giannis. And uh, yeah, they announced the Major League Baseball All-Star teams, but I can't do a 40-minute podcast ranting about how the Pittsburgh Pirates and the uh, Texas Rangers, who have two of the four worst records in Major League Baseball, put five All-Stars in the All-Star game, but the Tampa Bay Rays couldn't get more than one All-Star. I can only rant about that for so long, so yeah, that's my rant on the MLB All-Star game. Also, four San Diego Padres made the All-Star game more than the San Francisco Giants, and if my math was correct, more than the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I can do a little jiggy dance right there. Shout out to the Crone Zone. Shout out to Darvish, the Shark, Mark Melanson. I have so many conflicted opinions on Mark Melanson. Not sure if I'll share them on the podcast. I think this is the second time I've mentioned that here on the podcast. Anyways, so for today's episode of the Take It Easy podcast, I wanted to talk about the NFL salary cap, which can be less interesting, of course, just saying it off the top of my head, probably made a couple of you stop listening to the podcast, but you know what? I still get credit for the downloads anyways. But anyways, the NFL salary cap is, for for those who don't remember the history, the NFL salary cap was negotiated in as a mechanism pre-1990, post-1994, um, so beginning in the 1995 season as a way to limit owners from making catastrophic decisions that would lead it helped basically fixing costs it was a revenue stream model that helped the nfl fix costs by saying that everyone got the same amount of money to spend and they could not spend more than x amount of dollars as a percentage of the the um, revenue as determined by players um, collectively bargaining a certain percentage of the revenues, and then those revenues go back to the players in the form of a salary cap. Now, teams don't always have to spend the maximum of the salary cap, but the salary cap still is derived from the amount of money that players make from the percent from a percentage of the revenues 
and then equally distributed through revenue sharing so that everyone gets the same amount of money to spend. I believe the NFL salary cap next year is around $200 million. $200 million times 32 is $6.4 billion. Um, $6.4 billion is roughly, thir- or, uh, roughly about 40, 45-46% of the NFL revenues reported in 2020. So, uh, yeah, the salary cap, uh, I'm sorry, uh, from 2019, sorry, pre-pandemic numbers. So these are pre-pandemic numbers, and the salary cap went down last year because of a slight decrease in revenue. Um, that all sports leagues had, of course, because of the pandemic, but the NFL was the sport least affected by the pandemic. The only difference they had was that they couldn't sell like actual game day tickets for the eight or so home games that each team had. But the TV dollars went through. They didn't have a disruption of the season. Uh, they got to play all 256 regular season games, a few with hiccups, but overall, they got all the games in on schedule. They didn't have to do some strange pause during the season. So if we went back to pre-1994 NFL and wiped away the salary cap, what would be the dramatic changes that would come as a result? And I picked on five big changes, some bigger than others, but they're listed one through five of the big changes of what the NFL would look like if we didn't have a salary cap, which, by the way, I agree with the idea of having a salary cap only because it's a pro-labor It's pro-labor more than it's pro-management. All it does ultimately is fix costs and prevent players from getting free market value um, from a bidding war between owners who have the wealth to make some of those moves uh, if they weren't confined by the salary cap. Again, the salary cap is meant to protect, uh, protect owners from themselves, but also has the unintended consequence of creating parity within the sport. Number one, the first thing that the... NFL non-salary cap league would do was create bigger contracts for their top end stars for the best of the best their contracts would be much larger than they are now the reason this is the case is because currently NFL contracts are built off of a percentage of the salary cap and this works in baseball and this works in basketball with the max contract and it works in hockey where teams recognize that at a certain rate they can only create a competitive team when a player is making X amount percentage of the salary cap. Usually it's around like 16, 17, 18% of the salary cap for a star player. It's why that, for example, when the Seattle Seahawks give Russell Wilson a gigantic contract extension, that they lose Cam Chancellor to retirement, they lose... Michael Bennett, they lose Earl Thomas, they lose Richard Sherman. A lot of people end up departing after an increase to Russell Wilson's number because now Russell Wilson, who previously took up about 0.3% of their salary cap, now takes up about 16-17% of their salary cap. And so top-end stars, without the confinement to the salary cap, would now get contracts as a percentage of return on investment from the franchises. How much can we make back in potential ticket sales, jersey sales, 
Um, if I mean, this is the case in other sports. If you negotiate your own TV rights deal, which the NFL does not, the NFL negotiates their TV rights deal as one unit. But if you were to negotiate a TV deal, what, which is something the NFL may consider in the future, would you be able to get an increased revenue there? And top-end stars would get a higher percentage of the dollars based on what they could return to the franchise, um, which is the argument you could make on Patrick Mahomes being worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to the Chiefs organization, and the Chiefs would have to spend hundreds of million dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars to bring him back, which they kind of did. His contract is four years and $160 million in essence. He can obviously opt in but and get the rest of that like you know five uh it was a 500 million dollar contract but i think like 110 of it is guaranteed which i assume Mahomes will opt out of to get a bigger contract after the fourth year but essentially that four year 160 million dollar contract for Mahomes is a an 18 to 19% of the salary cap 40 million dollars salary cap is just over 200 million that leaves it about 18% that Patrick Mahomes is getting in terms of a percentage of the salary cap. And, you know, you can renegotiate the deals to circumvent it and turn it into signing bonus, which I don't remember if Mahomes did that or if someone else did that. A lot of people did it throughout the offseason where you convert salary cap dollars into signing bonuses to circumvent the salary cap. Um, where you just get the money up front and then later on you can get smaller checks after games. But it's just it, there are ways to circumvent the salary cap that go beyond how much of a how much of a percentage of the cap someone is making up because the higher percentage of the cap, it means the less chance that you have to get other players. So now instead of negotiating contracts based on a percentage of the cap, now, new contracts would be based on return on investment from the franchises. How much money would the franchise make as a result of your contract? And one of the big, big changes there would include, number two, a higher activity in free agency. And correlating the basically making the franchise tag obsolete or given how big the NFL's salary cap would be, the Players Association negotiating out a contract. or I'm Sorry, negotiating out a contract franchise tag. That's what I meant to say. Negotiating out a contract franchise tag and making the franchise tag no longer a thing. It's a strange concept in the first place, um, and its use now is different than its initially intended use, but... Still, the salary cap would be negotiated down and eventually out of the sport. And so it's, it's quite fascinating how that would work out. But at the same time, um, we would see a higher use of free agency. More players knowing that you could create a bidding war between other teams. And not that you could get the exact same, not that you wouldn't get the same amount because there would be a market dictated for this is the top price. Um, you would have a basically free bidding war that there would be incentive to get other teams involved instead of now where you can basically get the same money from every team every team knows what your value is if you're a quarterback it's pretty clear what your value is if you're an edge rusher you're probably going to set the record like uh 
They did like four players in a row. If you're a wide receiver, the next most recent guy is probably going to set the record and everyone knows what their value is and they know what their value is and that's usually what they end up getting in a contract. Unless you're Alvin Kamara who should absolutely fire his agent. Um, then otherwise you're going to get your fair market value. This would be a different kind of value because different franchises could wildly differentiate in how they valued you. Um, so free agency would be a tool that star players would use much more often. And some of those contracts that I was drawing up just based on some random numbers, but also some by calculation would be Patrick Mahomes signing a 16-year, $1 billion contract with the Patriots because the Patriots would be right up there in uh, right up there in the richest franchises. Which, by the way, so here are the Forbes valuations of the richest franchises because in higher activity and free agency means that there's going to be more. I'm sorry, more more bigger contracts. More teams spending based on return on investment and what they can get from their fan bases. So there would be absolutely less parity in the NFL. Like, bad teams would be bad for much longer. They would struggle to keep their players. Um, the NFL does have a lot of teams make the playoffs, but uh, we'll get to draft picks in a little bit, too. But basically, so here are the, the big heavy hitters. These are the 10 richest franchises in the NFL, according to Forbes valuations, how much the, the franchises are worth as of 20. These are 2021 numbers, but I just want to make sure I get the date correct. As of May 7th, 2021. So these numbers came out two months ago for the Forbes franchise valuations. Um, first up, we have the Dallas Cowboys. No surprise. Dallas Cowboys are the... Only one of two football teams in the top 10 of the richest sports franchises in the world. Um, the other ones up there would be the New York Yankees, the New York Knicks, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Lakers. And then we get down into uh, the, the next part of the top 10. So you'd have the New England Patriots as one of the richest franchises in professional football. They're number two. Three is the Giants, four is the Rams, five is the San Francisco 49ers, six is the Jets, seven is the Bears, eight is Washington football team, nine is the Philadelphia Eagles, tied for 10th, but it's like 10-11 by, you know, a couple million dollars, is the Texans and the Broncos. So those would be the heavy hitters in free agency would be those 10 teams would always have some sort of an edge because they have higher franchise valuations and more of an incentive to spend on big money free agents. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes gets his $1 billion contract for 16 years with the Patriots at $62.5 million a season. And Lamar Jackson gets a 10-year $600 million contract from the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, he gets $60 million a year in a non-salary cap sport. In this scenario, I've, I've also made some jersey swaps. If you want to see the cover art for today's podcast, and shout out to some of the people who made the jersey swaps, uh, King Zanny is one of them on Instagram who made the Lamar Jackson one, so shout out to him. Um, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Ghetto Gronk made that one, so shout out to Ghetto Gronk. 
Uh, I do not know who made the Russell Wilson one, but shout out to whoever made the Russell Wilson one, where Russell Wilson would sign with the New York football giants on an eight-year, $435 million contract, valuing Russell Wilson at just over $54 million a year. And uh, Aaron Donald would return to Pittsburgh, making a seven-year, $250 million commitment that would put Aaron Donald just under $36 million a season. And again, all of this is based on return on investment, which, by the way, I think Aaron Donald makes like $25 million right now. So maybe he could get even more than the seven-year, $250 million contract that I had here. Maybe Donald could get more than uh, just a quarter of a billion dollars when Patrick Mahomes is making a billion dollars. Maybe Aaron Donald could pick up a little bit more on that open market. So, yeah, all of that. Those are, again, heavy hitters in free agency. I know the Steelers weren't on the heavy hitter list in terms of franchise valuations, but it makes too much sense that Aaron Donald would return home to Pittsburgh and TJ Watt would maybe sign a gigantic extension as well and yeah, it would it would be interesting to see that um, where free agency just means more and big stars continuously hit free agency like they do in baseball, where baseball's it would it would kind of resemble baseball free agency even though baseball has a soft salary cap like baseball has a luxury tax penalty that most teams abide by as a salary cap, but at the same time their stars don't have maximums on their contracts, which football doesn't either, but football contracts rarely ever go longer than four, five years uh, without some sort of option because it benefits the player to continuously hit the open market. But in the case of these top-of-the-line players, there's an incentive to get as much money as possible on one contract. If it's a 16-year deal for Mahomes um, for a billion dollars, Mahomes is is taking into account projected earnings growths in the NFL. And maybe if they get like two or three times the value on the last TV deal, maybe Mahomes could get up to the $100 million range. But it's difficult to to figure out that math and what the return on investment for a star player would be or whether or not you get more money based on nationally televised games, which currently you don't. But the NFL could negotiate that into their new contracts it would be interesting to see and if that if the players union wants that to incentivize teams to spend money on players and and earn money based on nationally televised games it would be an interesting incentive for teams to go for so number three what would be the third big change so we have bigger contracts for top end stars and we have higher activity in free agency and uh, the end of the franchise tag as we know it Number three would be longer contracts, which lead to a stalling percentage of guaranteed dollars. I didn't want to say that there would be less guaranteed dollars in the contract because I don't think that's going to be true. What I think is more probable in this circumstance is a smaller percentage of guaranteed dollars that go to star players. There will be I'm sorry, not that not a smaller percentage. There will be a stalling percentage. Right now, I think the top-end stars make 60-70% guaranteed dollars. Um, I think the number's around like 71. Other players might get less or more. I know Le'Veon Bell, which is the contract that he fought for aggressively, only got like 54% guaranteed dollars at like $28 million. So... 
guaranteed dollars are often a percentage. The NFL is one of the few sports that doesn't have fully guaranteed contracts. Um, I know that MLB and NBA have fully guaranteed contracts. I know soccer has fully guaranteed contracts as well as transfer fees, which could also be uh, a possibility that the NFL owners negotiate in if we have a higher free agency is making it so that teams have to pay the franchises for losing their stars. But again, we'll get to that in a think it's point four, but we'll get to that in a little bit. What I wanted to talk about now is just the stalling percentage of guaranteed dollars. If owners are going to spend on a return on investment, one of the things they're going to try to do is narrow how much is guaranteed so that if they sign a five, six, seven year contract to a above average player, I don't want to say like a like a um, average player, like a Trey Hendrickson. If Trey Hendrickson is going to get a seven-year contract from the Cincinnati Bengals, then Trey Hendrickson would be—it would be an incentive for the Bengals to give him less guaranteed dollars, because then either a you can move his contract later, or b you can cut him and only take a minimal loss. Because again, there's no salary cap ramifications from cutting a player. It's just losing out on your guaranteed dollars or like they do in the NBA, negotiating a buyout to protect some of your guaranteed dollars. So longer contracts would likely mean that there would be a stalling percentage of guaranteed dollars. And also there's an incentive for players to secure a long-term financial commitment. It's why baseball made it so that most contracts are four or five years now at most, except for the rare cases where you have 10-year contracts, but even in there, players will get opt-outs in between. Mahomes has an opt-out in his contract that's technically it was like 10 years and 500 million, but the 500 million was just a number. Um, it's really a four-year contract at 160 million that matched him with Deshaun Watson, uh, not in annual value, but for the next four years, it matched him with Deshaun Watson. And that contract for Patrick Mahomes has an opt-out after four years that Mahomes will almost certainly exercise unless, you know, like his, um, what was it, his foot surgery this offseason just goes, like, catastrophically poorly. Um, if not, then, like, if Mahomes is still the player that he was, then all of a sudden the, the Kansas City Chiefs will, will negotiate another contract with Patrick Mahomes, likely for a higher percentage after this new NFL TV rights deal kicks in beginning next season in 2022. So longer contracts, stalling percentage of guaranteed money. Uh, it would hang around the 50, 60, 70% that it is now, uh, mostly because owners would you would try and secure themselves longer flexibility if players are going to be looking for longer contracts, kind of like a yin and yang, a counterpoint to each other, like a... Uh, uh, a push and pull, shall we say. Yin and yang isn't necessarily a great version for this. It's like a push and a pull. The players will push for longer contracts. The pull will be stalling the guaranteed dollars and front-loading a lot of these contracts so that you can get out from them later on with either a buyout or the next point, which is more trades. Number four, more trades of players with lower contracts headed to free agency and teams trading bad contracts be, uh, between one another, which is something that we see in the NBA a lot, like uh, Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul. Both of those were considered bad contracts. Russell Westbrook for John Wall, that was considered bad contracts. 
Kemba Walker just got traded for Al Horford. That was considered a swap of bad contracts. This happens a lot more often in the NBA where you can swap bad contracts. Where in the NFL, players will sometimes just get cut altogether and teams will absorb some of that guaranteed dollar penalties. Or players will stay through the length of their contracts without much of a mechanism to move on from players other than just cutting them. Uh, There's no incentive to trade because of uh, salary cap penalties. But if you take away the salary cap penalties, you would see more flops, like trades of bad contracts. Like you would see Jawan James, who was just on the uh, Denver Broncos, who got a four-year, $43 million contract, I want to say, $48 million. Um, He tore his Achilles while working off-site, and they were going to see if they could get their money back for having him tear off site, even though he was working out for football. And James ends up getting cut anyways and signing with the Baltimore Ravens. And Jawan James ends up being a bad contract where, in other circumstances, maybe they could have flipped him for another bad contract. Maybe they could have traded him for Nate Solder, the offensive tackle for the New York Giants, making $16 million a season, but has kind of been a flop, and they drafted Andrew Thomas to replace him, and now Solder might be their right tackle next year, and the New York Giants have have made a bad contract with Nate Solder, the former Patriot. So maybe Jawan James and Nate Solder could flip contracts, Um, like the Broncos and Giants could work something out on a trade value where, you know, Solder goes to the Broncos and they negotiate what percentage they pay and then Juwan James goes to the Giants and maybe the Giants keep him maybe the Giants cut him but there's an incentive there to make trades of bad contracts because you don't have to deal with salary cap penalties so you would see more trades of players with bad contracts but you would also see more players being traded right before they hit free agency and we see this more in baseball Um, We see some of it in football, like Jalen Ramsey, like Jamal Adams, guys who you know are not going to re-sign with you. Teams trade just to get some sort of value in return. Um, But on a lot of these deals, like the same thing we talked about with um, players using free agency more in point two, for a lot of these contracts, players will... Players know what their market value is. If they're a top player in the league, they know they're going to be the highest paid at their position. They know what that value is going to be. It's a slight edge over the previously highest paid, and the team knows exactly what that player is worth based on that market. So there's not much of a negotiation that goes on there. Players know it's more in the details that the negotiation comes in, like how much is a guaranteed percentage, what percentage of it is earned through incentives, et cetera, et cetera. Um, On a free and open market, you would see more people want to hit the open market. And as a result, teams would not want to lose those players for nothing because of the damage it does to the franchise long term. And we've seen this NBA correction recently with the new trend of pre-agency, where pre-agency is players who are about to reach free agency end up getting market corrections And they can get traded maybe to a team they want to, maybe a team they don't, um, a year before their contract expires so that their teams can get a bunch of pieces in return to help uh, foster a rebuild. It's why now, like, the Clippers have no draft picks. It's why the Thunder have a ton of draft picks. It's why the Pelicans have a ton of draft picks. It's why the Rockets have a ton of draft picks. 
uh, is because draft picks are used as like the means to acquire a future star. So that's the that's the point of when you have stars, you trade Russell Westbrook, you trade Chris Paul, you trade Paul George, you trade Anthony Davis, you trade Drew Holiday. Uh, and that was how those teams acquired those picks was not by letting those players hit free agency and walking away. So you'd see more of that in the NFL. You'd see more Jalen Ramsey, more Jamal Adams type trades where players right before hitting free agency get traded. And, and, and baseball does a great job at this because they create the trade deadline and have names that swarm around for the entire month of July, as we're seeing right now. We're seeing all sorts of names get thrown around for the trade deadline, whether it be Max Scherzer or Trevor Story or um, Joey Gallo, who just made the All-Star game for Texas. You see names getting thrown around all the time. Adam Frazier's been another one, too, recently. But they create an entire month of rumors and trades and, and make it... So that players now expect their front offices to go make moves. They look at their front office and say, if you're not making trades for the now and giving up young prospects or giving up draft picks, which is what the NFL's version of young prospects are, what are we doing then? Which brings us to the fifth and final point of the effects of no salary cap in the NFL. More trades of players with lower... Sorry, that was number four. Sorry, reading the wrong thing. Sorry, number five would be increased value on draft picks and the rookie wage scale. The rookie wage scale limits the amount of money that players can make on their rookie contracts. Now, you could argue that we could also get rid of the rookie wage scale, which would be a way to rethink the NFL draft. Maybe that's another July type episode is rethinking how we do the NFL draft. But anyways... The draft picks would have higher values now because of how, if you're going to pay significant proportions of your money to these top players, you no longer are incentivized by the salary cap. You are incentivized by your return on investment. And your return on investment essentially becomes your salary cap, which means that draft picks have even more value because the rookie wage scale will still set in their first contracts at you know, smaller. Now it's small percentages of the cap, but now it's even smaller. If you are a team that has money, those players can supplement your big money free agents and give you significant value. If you are a team that is now falling behind the curve, if you're Jacksonville, Buffalo, Cincinnati, teams that don't have a ton of money to spend. Well, now all of a sudden, there is an incentive to draft better. It's like what Tampa Bay does in baseball now, where you have small market teams, which are really just small market owners that like to say that there's a fixed amount that we can't go over. And these small market teams have to think within the lines of how can we be smarter than everyone else? How can we make decisions without money to compete with teams that do have money? It's Moneyball Syndrome all over again. And maybe an Oakland A's will emerge. Maybe a Tampa Bay Rays will emerge in football. There, there isn't anything that's really like that in football because everyone's operating under the same salary cap. It's just a matter of whether you can get the right draft picks and have players that want to sign with you to build a sustainable model of winning. And this is why football legislates parity so well. It's the sport that has the most turnover 
of teams that are good and they have the smallest windows because careers last shorter and teams can get better rather quickly in the NFL. So this would change the math on that because there would be less parity but more of an incentive to place value on those draft picks, both in those trades that we were mentioning in number four and the uh, the teams that don't have money need those picks even more than they did before. And so there's a massive financial incentive there. And I mentioned earlier that there's also the transfer fees thing. They could do what European soccer does, where like some guy, I, I forgot his name, goes from a Borussia Dortmund to Manchester United he's this really good English player and they pay like a hundred million dollars to Borussia Dortmund and they and Manchester United gets like they they pay his contract and they pay a transfer fee to the organization and maybe that's a way to increase value and create more parity between top teams is hey in free agency, you're not only going to pay for that player, but you're also going to pay a transfer fee to the Cincinnati Bengals, per se, if you get Joe Burrow in free agency. You're going to pay a transfer fee to the Bengals, and they're going to get money in exchange for losing Joe Burrow. And maybe owners will pocket it, but it's just a way to help legislate parity. If, if you're concerned that, oh, Certain teams will never be good again. First of all, you just be smarter. That's that's the first part. Be smarter than other teams and invest in your front office and your drafts. That's one way to help with legislating parity. But two, transfer fees can be a way to legislate parity in a non-salary cap sport where uh, like Green Bay wants to get, I don't know, uh, who would be... Who would be a top player who would hit free agency from a terrible franchise? Uh, Trevor Lawrence, maybe. Let's say let's say Green Bay wants to poach Trevor Lawrence from the Jacksonville Jaguars when he hits free agency. So you'd pay your hundred million dollars for Trevor Lawrence, but you'd also pay a hundred million dollars for to the Jacksonville Jaguars for taking Trevor Lawrence from them. Uh, it's compensatory picks do the same thing. Uh, but this time it would just be with money to help, you know, help them find another Trevor Lawrence, which ultimately would be through the draft, but maybe it'll help them supplement another Trevor Lawrence, or maybe Shad Khan pockets the money in this scenario. It could go a lot of different ways, but uh, that's one way if there's concern over legislating parity, um, that's one way to do it with uh, placing an increased value on the rookie wage scale and having transfer fees together. That's like one way to legislate parity per se and draft picks will have an infinitely higher value now because they become in higher demand uh, than they used to be and that that's it ladies and gentlemen that is the effects of the nfl with no salary cap we'd have bigger contracts for top end stars lamar jackson would get a 600 million dollar contract he negotiated himself with the eagles patrick Mahomes would get a billion dollars i gotta do dr evil now hold up one billion dollars. Yeah, I had to do that. Uh, no sound effects behind it, but still. I uh, had to do the Dr. Evil sound. So Mahomes would get one billion dollars. And uh, Russell Wilson could go play for the New York football giants, if that's what he so chose. Think about that in the scenario that I just came up. Russell Wilson would be making like... $40 million a year until he's like 41 years old. That'd be a good deal for Russell Wilson right now. 
Maybe he's going to try and do that anyways because Russell Wilson's going to try and play for a long time. But it's like those weird baseball contracts now where players are going to get paid till they're like 36, 37, 38. Things could go quite poorly before then, but in the case of like Nelson Cruz, he just keeps getting contract extensions and now keeps getting traded at the trade deadline. Uh, he hasn't been traded for a while, but now it looks like he might get traded by the Twins for one last playoff run. So those things end up turning out kind of weird. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Episodes are released every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sunday. Check out Wired Up from yesterday. We talk about uh, this great book by Andy Martino called Cheated and the story of the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal and that really strange nine-year run that the Houston Astros had from 2011 to 2019 under Jeff Lunau. Um, It was a very interesting way to look at baseball and look at the way that this whole team and this whole scandal was constructed and how it was enabled. Uh, One of the great cheating scandals of the last hundred years came to focus. So check out the book and check out our podcast version of it yesterday. We also uh, celebrate Drip Lopez and Chris Middleton and the Bucks a little bit too, which we'll be doing all throughout this week because it's NBA Finals week, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for stopping in, and as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.